appropriate song for our text today. Keep that in mind as we walk through the scriptures. We're still in John chapter 12, up to verse 20 here. Find your way there. As you know, we walk through the scriptures line by line. We made it to chapter 12, verse 20. It is Passion Week. Jesus has come to Jerusalem. It was his triumphal entrance. He's going to be made king, the people were shouting. But it was nothing like the world thought it would be. Jesus, the king of kings, came in riding on a donkey. Not a white horse. He rode in on a donkey. This is not how a king on earth would come to town. Many people are confused and, and their hailing of the king that saved them was short-lived. They, they never understood what was going on. And the truth of the matter is, everyone should have known what was happening. It had been written hundreds of years before that time as to how the Messiah would come to town. They had plenty of time to study the word so that they would be ready for the Messiah when he comes. They had plenty of time to study the word so they would know when the true Messiah came riding in on a donkey. They should have known that Jesus was the true Messiah. But even though they have had the word, the people were not prepared for the type of king that entered Jerusalem on that day. Now the people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They were shouting with their mouths, but their hearts were not right. They were not worshiping, worshiping Jesus for the right reasons. They were not coming to Jesus for the right reasons. Now, even though many did believe, because there is always a remnant, there are always believers, God has his people at all times. Amen? Don't ever think God's not working. You know, we, we look around and say, oh, all this is falling apart. Where's God? Where's God? He's working at all times, even on that day when he rode into town. So he has his people. So let's read about the ones who were seeking, who were truly seeking Jesus. Verse 20. We're going to read this section. We'll be able to study it all, all today. We're going to read this part here. Verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So we have some Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. They are Gentiles, Gentiles wanting to come and see Jesus. And guess what? They got to see Jesus. These were Greek people who came to worship during the Passover. They are Gentiles. That is, that is not Jewish. Anyone who's not Jewish is a Gentile. They were seeking God. And this is, this is Passion Week, like I said. Everything's stirring. 
Jesus is in town. Everybody's talking. Thousands upon thousands of people are there. And these are the guys who asked to see Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, bring them in. That has been God's plan the entire time. All peoples, all nations to the ends of the earth. That is the kingdom of God. But the Jews had a difficult time with this. Even Peter did. And it was because they had been misled for so many years. They did not understand the truth. If we look at this letter written by John, we can see that John is really driving that point home. He wants the world to know that Jesus is the savior of the world, not simply the redeemer of Israel. Listen to what John says. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1. For God so loved the world, John 3. The Samaritans rightly identified him as the savior of the world, John 4. He gave his life for the world and he gives his life to the world, John 6. And we all know that Jesus is the light of what? The world, John 8. John emphasizes in this letter that Jesus will bring in the other sheep who are outside the Jewish fold. John 10, 16 says this, I, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is taking from all people and making one for himself. Paul taught this his entire ministry. Write this verse in your margins right beside the words of the Greeks. Write Romans 15, 8 through 12. Paul emphasized also that it was always been God's plan to bring in the Gentiles into the kingdom. Listen to the words. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the, to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Here's what Paul did in this passage. Just so good. It's so awesome to see these men being carried by the Holy Spirit as they're, as they're pinning this truth. In this passage, Paul quoted from all three parts of the Old Testament. He quoted from the law in Deuteronomy. He quoted from the prophets in Isaiah and the Psalms 18 and 117. In one swipe, Paul showed the Jews from their own scriptures the truth of God's plan for Gentile salvation in one swipe. Paul is breaking down their traditions with what? The truth. With the truth. Take notice here. The only thing that can break down bad traditions is truth. Sometimes it takes a while. People are hard-headed. But we always stand on the truth. We always stand on the word. You know, traditions can be good. But they cannot override the truth. We have to be careful that we do not ever let traditions get in the way of the truth. Amen? Amen. So the text here is just continuing with the teaching of the word of God throughout history. Verse 20 says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Gentile, were some Greeks. So they came to Peter, who 
and from in Galilee, and he asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, they were not asking to put their eyes on Jesus. They, they could probably see Jesus from a distance. They, they, they didn't want to, you know, hey, can we take a selfie, you know, with them? That, that wasn't what they wanted. They wanted to spend some time with Jesus. They wanted to hear his teaching. They were legitimately, legitimately seeking truth. Did they get to see Jesus? Yes. Did they get to hear the truth? Absolutely. And they got a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. This is something that we all need to know about God right here. He will never turn anyone away who is seeking him, not ever. You know, my thoughts before I got saved was God would never accept me. All the things I've done, how dirty I am, all the sins I've committed, God wouldn't touch me with a 10-foot pole, but I was wrong. I was dead wrong. Praise the Lord, he took me right in. I, I got the privilege of seeing Jesus. That is, I spent time with Jesus and I got my questions answered. He did not turn me away when I truly came to him and I am forever grateful. You know, some people think that they have to clean themselves up before they come to Jesus. That's not true either. And you'll never get clean. You come to Jesus and he will clean you up. Amen. All anyone has to do is to come to Jesus and Jesus will give you the truth, just like he did with the Greek Gentiles. Something else to point out here too. God, Jesus is never too busy that he doesn't have time to see a soul that desires to know God. Think about that. Think, think, think about that time, that day. And what was ahead for Jesus. Think about what was going to happen in less than five days. Jesus had a lot on his plate, to say the least. He even says, now, now is my soul troubled? Or what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He said, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He knew what was set before him, and yet he had time for sinners who were seeking him. I found that amazing. I found his love amazing at that time. Does that not give us a glimpse of who God is? God has never turned anyone away who was seeking the truth, seeking God, seeking salvation. It has never happened and it never will. No one in the history of the world has ever said, you know, I was seeking God, but God was too busy to take time out for me. No one's ever been able to make that claim. God will bring you in. So the Greek said to Philip, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them. Look at what Jesus taught. This is his answer. The Greeks get there, get to see him, and, and this is what they heard. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That response seems kind of odd, but not really. You see, this, the, the, the Greeks were brought in. They were brought in to hear Jesus' teaching. But Jesus' response was not directed 
just to them, just to the Gentiles, or just to the Jews. He, his teaching was for all who chose to follow him, who was in that crowd. There was a large crowd there. And it was the perfect time to say the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And there's a lot tied up in this hour. We're in a point of time that Israel as a whole has rejected the Messiah. They are doing everything possible to kill him. They are rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. They did not know the truth in the scriptures about the Messiah, that he must suffer before, he, before the glory comes. They did not realize that it would be through his death and resurrection that he brings in a large number of Gentiles into his covenant community. This is a big deal. This hour has come. It is the time in which Jesus will bring in the Gentiles, bring them into the new covenant. Gentiles are the people who were, they, they were not part of the old covenant. But now they will be brought in. And they will be brought in through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The approach of the Greeks is, is like kind of a, a, a trigger, a, a, a signal or a sign, you may say, that the hour has come when he brought the Greeks in. And to this, until this moment, the hour had always been in the future. Jesus has said time after time, it's not the hour, it's not my time, it's not the hour, it's not my time. But here Jesus himself declared that the hour had arrived. It was time, not for kingly honor like the world wanted, but it was time for death and to bring in the new covenant. Like I said, it is through Jesus's death that he would bring in, bring his people to God. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. That's what Jesus said. You know, if you think about this, for most people, death is humiliation but not for Jesus. Jesus's death was his means of entry into glory. His willingness to die for others' sin in obedience to the Father brought him the glory that he once had. And know this too, it's not just that the shame of the cross is followed by the glory of, of, the, glory of the exaltation. Yes, that does happen, but that the, the glory is already fully displayed in the shame. Jesus is glorified in his death. Sometimes that's hard to understand. Sometimes it's hard to understand these truths and get your head wrapped around that. You know, we know that the people were confused with Jesus's teaching. The word says that the disciples didn't get it until later. But the truth always becomes very clear to the ones who follow Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls on the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus using the words here, truly, truly, underscores the significance of this statement and the actions that will follow. This is important. You know, so, so think about this. All of this is going on in Jerusalem. I mean, it, it, it's crazy time of the year there. And Jesus says, this is important. Truly, truly, listen up. You need to get this down. And Jesus gives a lesson on gardening. What he did. I bet all those people who live off the land back then was thinking, this is important to know. Truly, truly, we need to hear about a seed and how it grows into plants. There must be more 
they were asking. What is Jesus saying here? Well, if you look at it through the gardener's eyes, it, it does make sense and why he said it. You know, I have a, a I have weed at my house in a bucket. I got all these kernels in there. Been there for years. It's just a bunch of wheat grain. Looks just like it did five years ago when we put it in there. Been a while, why did everybody look at 10? <laughs> Been a while since we baked bread. <laughs> but the grain is still in there. Nothing's changed. But if we were to take that grain and plant it, the outside of that grain would die, and then it would grow into a wheat plant and would produce many grains of wheat. One grain would make many. One grain of wheat is sown in the ground, dying to bring forth a rich harvest. And with that said, Jesus is talking about his own death and what will happen when he dies. Again, we are really seeing the heart of Jesus. Jesus did not come to seek his own glory or worldly glory. He could have done that. The people were ready to follow that kind of leader, but that is not why Jesus came to this earth. Here we can see that Jesus was always committed to doing what pleases the Father, all the way to that wonderful cross, all the way to the grave. Jesus is not tempted by the things of this world. He did not fall into temptation when Satan promised him the world. Jesus was here to do the will of the Father, and he never wavered from it. What a wonderful Savior we have. Does that not tell us how great of love he had for the Father and for us? Think about this. Jesus is speaking about his own death. He's willing to go to the cross. He is doing the Father's will. You think any of us could sit here and talk about our death to come in three to four days and then take time to teach about how to get saved? If Jesus were but a mere man, he would have probably just left town. Could have turned the donkey around. Or not come to Jerusalem and be killed like the disciples said would happen. He wasn't just a man. Jesus was on a mission from God and he was going to see it through. Suffering first is how it had to happen. The Lord's point was that he would be glorified, but through his death and resurrections, like the scripture said, there could never be the establishing of his glorious kingdom with all its promises that were made in the scriptures without the cross. He must suffer first. Something else about God here. God is omniscient. He knows all things. That means he doesn't get smarter. He doesn't forget anything. Can't wait for that day. Nothing takes him by surprise. I want you to know that God is not up there on the throne, scrambling, trying to keep all of this together. He's not like, you know, oh, wait, they did this. I need to do this. Oh, wait, they didn't go this way. I need to do this. They should not have done that. Now I got to go do this. No, that is not how God operates. God is in control. God has a plan and he will see it through. You know, when Adam sinned, God did not say, oh, man, we got to have a backup plan. Didn't see that coming. No, 
He stayed with the plan he had the whole time. The death on the cross is not a reaction to Israel's unbelief, as many would say. Jesus knew what he was doing before he ever came to this earth. And you know what? That should give us comfort. We go with what we know, and we know that God is in control and that he will see his plan through. No one can stop it nor alter it. And that's why we're able to stand on the promises of God. He does not change his promises because something goes wrong on this earth. God is an all-knowing God, and we can stand on his truth. Amen? We can stand on his promises. So, so here's what Jesus is saying in his garden, gardening lesson. Just as a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies to produce a rich harvest, so also Christ's death will bear a rich harvest. And how does that happen? Well, his death produces a harvest of believers who will have eternal life. His death gives eternal life for many, not just for the Jewish nation, but for every tribe and tongue. That means Everyone, I looked it up. Everyone means everyone, not a, not a certain denomination or not just these ones who think they have special knowledge. No, eternal life is avail available to all who believe. I had a friend this past week who heard a seven-day Adventist trying to witness to a Jehovah Witness. I'd like to have been there. <laughs> but... They're going back and forth about we believe this and you believe that and you're wrong on this and you're wrong about that. And and the, and the and they think that and both of them think that they're they're the chosen ones and both of them think that that one's not going to heaven and they're not going to heaven and, and they're just going back and forth. So as my friend was sitting there and it was a moment she speaks up and says, well. It is comforting to know that there is one book that has the absolute truth and that truth will prevail and that in heaven, there will be no divisions or denominations. And the room went silent. Not a word was spoken. So she dropped the mic, walked out. <laughs> Do know this, the gospel is for all peoples. The gospel brings unity, not division. Division is of man, not of God. Everyone, everyone to the ends of the earth, regardless of race, status, cash flow, where you live, who your parents are, has nothing to do with the gospel. Every person who through faith in Christ receives eternal life, that is the spiritual harvest that resulted from Jesus' death. Amen. So we have a paradox here, don't we? Death is the way to life. Does that make sense? In Jesus' case, his death led to glory and life, and it didn't stop there. His death not only led to life for himself, but also for others. God says death is the way to life. Look at verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father, the father will honor him. 
So Jesus teaches what one has to do to follow him and what happens if he does. Jesus actually gave an invitation right there. He's given, that's the first altar call recorded in, no, no, I'm just kidding. He gave an altar call on that day. He does it by applying the truth that he just gave with a general invitation. He is saying, you, that is everyone, must do a self-examination. You must check your heart. You must check your attitude. Because here is what is required of the ones who receive the gift of salvation. You must die to self. So he just tells everybody he's going to die and must die. And now he's saying you must die to self. Jesus says the one who loves his life, that is the life in this world, will ultimately lose his life. But on the other hand, the one who hates his life, that is the life in this world, will keep it to eternal life. Does that mean we walk around now and tell everyone, I hate my life, I hate my life, I hate my life, thinking that's going to get us into heaven? No. If one chooses to be the follower of Christ, then Jesus demands for us to be so committed to living for Christ that we hate our life by comparison. It's not that we hate. We hate by comparison. Does that make sense? The, the love-hate is by comparison. You see, a disciple who hates his life is one who is so committed to Christ that he has no self-centeredness. In other words, life is not about him anymore. It's about Jesus and the kingdom of God. It's not that he hates his life here. It is he just loves the life he lives for God much, much more. Now, on the other hand, the man who loves his life will lose it. How does that happen? Well, this person lives for himself. He has idols. Anything in life can become an idol. <clears throat> an idol is something that you worship. So if you make the things of this world an idol, then that means you are not worshiping God. You're worshiping that idol. <clears throat> you are worshiping, worshiping the stuff of this world. You know, your goals in life, your interests, your, your education, your job, whatever it may be. You are worshiping the things of the world and not worshiping God. And, and you know, we can take what is good in life and make it an idol. We make it what we live for. That's what we live for. It's simple as this. Take a promotion at work. That's a good thing. It's nice. But if you put that promotion over Jesus, then it becomes a bad thing. If your life is all about getting that promotion, then you have put this world over Jesus. That's how it works. And it could be anything that may be good, <clears throat> and we end up making it an idol. So what prevents us from doing that? When you become a believer, you undergo a spiritual death to self. You die to self. First <clears throat> John 2.15 says this. Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
this doesn't mean that we're not part of this world or, or that we can't have anything in this world. It means that we can't love it so much that we hate Jesus in comparison. Jesus says in Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This doesn't mean that you cannot serve God and have money, but it does mean you can't serve both. You will end up hating one. <clears throat> Listen to Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So he's saying, weigh the cost. Weigh the cost of being a follower. Jesus says, this has to happen in order for you to lose your life. And this doesn't, again, doesn't mean hate your family, hate your mom, hate your dad. You know, but what he's saying is love God more. Love God more. This text is, is for, it's, it refers to preferring Christ over family, over your possessions, over your goals, over your plans, over your desires, or maybe over your own life. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Again, this is, it's not that we hate what God has given us on this earth. It is that we love God more than the things of this world. Listen, our lives can never be fulfilled unless we yield ourselves to God and allow him to plant us like a green. We must die to self so that we may live unto God, Romans 6 and Galatians, and Galatians 2.20. The only way to have a fruitful life is to follow Jesus in death, burial, and resurrection. That's why we must do a self-examination because everyone has a choice to make. One can choose loneliness or fruitfulness, losing your life or keeping your life, serving self or serving God, pleasing self or receiving God's honor. Listen, God knows what is best for all of us. And he says, surrender your lives to him. He knows what is best. Matthew 19, 16 is appropriate. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, if, <clears throat> if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you, shall, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And you and his heart, he lacked something else. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When a young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Well, first of all, this text is not telling everyone who follows Jesus that they have to sell everything and give it to the poor. Because if, if the rich did that, if they gave everything to the poor, then they would be poor. And then the ones who are poor are now rich and they would have to give it back to the poor people <laughs> and they would become poor. It wouldn't stop. That's not what the text is about. What Jesus did here was he exposed the heart of this man. This man could not die to self, and Jesus knew that. This man thought that the important things in life are food, clothing, pleasures, basically his riches. He lived for these things. His security was in his riches. His love was in those things. He loved his life. He failed to realize that the soul is more important than the body. So by neglecting his soul's welfare, he ends up losing his life. All he had to do was count all his stuff that rust and malls destroyed as loss. And he could have eternal life. You know, the example of this rich man is extreme, yes, but you know, there are people, because there are people who hang on to a lot less instead of surrendering to Christ. It seems so simple to the ones who, who have chosen to follow Jesus. Just turn from sin, turn from worshiping the things of this world, and follow Jesus, and you will have eternal life. Why wouldn't anybody make that decision? So I sat there asking, why? Wouldn't anybody make that decision? And the answer to that question is in each one of our hearts. Why didn't we make the decision to follow Christ earlier in our lives? Why did I wait till I was 31 years old to come to Jesus? It's because I was lost. I was blind. I was doing what sinners do. But praise be to God that he opened my eyes. I was wandering around and Jesus found me. The truth was revealed. And now I know that I have eternal life with my Lord and Savior because of what he has done. Because he was willing to die for me. And because he is willing to die, I am now part of the rich harvest that he talks about. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We all should be able to say that verse. So what does that look like? You know, how do I, I live for Christ? People tell me, uh, you live for Christ, live for Christ. Well, how does that roll out? Well, who are we to be like? Jesus, right? Jesus. In our walk with the Lord, we are to become more Christ-like. That's our sanctification. Since Jesus is who we are to be like, we look at how Jesus lived. While Jesus walked this earth, everything he did was for God's glory. Everything. 
When we choose to follow Jesus, we must live for God's glory alone. Now, does that mean we can't have fun in life? Does that mean that we hide from the world and go find a little cabin and just read scripture all day and say, I'm glorifying God, I'm glorifying God? No, remember, we're part of this world. We can have fun, we can have joy, we can have security, and we can do it all because when we live for God's glory, we have a fuller life than before. The difference is, is that we seek to make decisions in our life that glorify God. Sounds simple. I tell my kids all the time, you do the right thing, you make the right choice to glorify God. How people react is not in your control. The outcome of your decision is not in your control. But what you can control is your decisions to glorify God or not. You know, kids, everybody knows what right from wrong is. Adults, we all know right from wrong. We can make right choices because of the power that's in us. We can seek to glorify God in every decision we make. Do we do it perfectly? No, but we seek to do that. We seek to do that. That's how you honor God. That's how we die to self. You know, I did a funeral service last night for a dear friend. And I saw a lot of people that I haven't seen in 30 years. Many who didn't know I was a pastor. That's fine. <laughs> but I'm thinking, when they saw me behind that pulpit yesterday, they were probably thinking, what happened to Rob Barton? What happened to that guy? And if they had asked, I would have told them, that Rob Barton died. He died. Rob is now a partaker of the resurrection and the new life. He has eternal life. He is now a new creation. The old has died. The old has gone away. I now live a life that seeks to glorify God. I now seek to honor God. That Rob Barton died. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So the question we all have to ask ourselves is this. Are we, ready, are we all really ready to die to self in order to have eternal life? Are we ready to serve Jesus with our lives? Are we ready to follow Jesus? Come to Jesus, I'm telling you. He won't turn you away. He's not too busy. His arms are open. He died that we may have eternal life with him. The word says, if one is willing to die to self and serve God, the father will honor him. Amen. Pastor Brown.